Welcome to Respeaks, hosted by yours truly, Rihanna Raymond Williams. This podcast aims to share a variety of stories and conversations discussing race, education, health, and so much more. Here I use my voice to create change in the hope that it inspires you to do the same. Join me on this journey. In this episode, I'll be speaking with my sister, Aisha Amazon Raymond who is a professional wrestler, sports coach, and co-owner of Fierce Females, a company that has been created to support, nurture, and empower the next generation of female wrestlers in Scotland. In this conversation, I speak with Aisha about her entry into wrestling, how her trip to Japan changed her outlook on the profession, the messages she's passionate about conveying inside and outside of the ring, and her recent venture, Fierce Females. What is your name and what do you do? My name is Aisha Raymond. I am a professional wrestler, entertainer and fitness and wrestling coach. And I have been in the business of wrestling for over 13 years. My career in wrestling or even being involved in wrestling began with staying up at stupid amounts of nights with yourself or our brother or watching contact sports with my grandfather and my brother and just kind of falling in love with contact sports but not actually wanting to be that athletic like I can't sit here with you and lie and say that I was the most athletic person in the world and I'm not going to things change and I did evolve but back then when I was very young I wasn't and it was just kind of nice to fall in love with that kind of aspect but I didn't really think I could do it I remember watching Monday Night Raw which was Friday Night Raw to us and Saturday Morning Smackdown with yourself and our brother and playing video games and just actually making myself as a character on those games and dreaming one day that I could actually do it. And then 13 years later, that's what I did. I love it. I think it's so exciting to see. And just as you said, we used to stay up late, like we didn't have school in the morning to watch Raw on Friday. Is it Friday night? No, like we did. We had no, it was. To- <laughs> it was Friday night and Saturday morning because remember, Yu-Gi-Oh! was before Smackdown. Yes, but I feel like we had things to do on Saturday morning. Like we were just stayed up, like we don't have anything to do with our lives. Just waiting up to watch Raw and then you watch Smackdown the following morning. Obviously, it seems like entertainment and they always say, please do not try this at home, (laughs) you know. So what was it about everything that you saw that made you feel you wanted to be on the screen? I think it was the household that I grew up in, to be honest. Like even speaking to you, it seems weird even saying household. Our family are quite an entertaining bunch. And I always believed like from a very young age and even my family and my mother believed that I would be in entertainment in some way, shape or form. I did it in academics. I did music and I did drama and I just kind of saw this unique collaboration of the rock and wrestling that I loved of the 80s era when my brother used to watch wrestling like it was the ultimate warrior so I fell in love with the 80s and it was the complete mesh of rock wrestling and music and to me that was wrestling and that's what made me fall in love with it it was being that child not really knowing what I could offer this world in terms of just being entertaining, coming from a very entertaining household. But I wanted to be much more. Like I was a very big child from a very big age, even though I was a premature born child who skyrocketed to like being six foot tall. I knew I could fit into a certain category, but I didn't know how to do it. And I thought wrestling was the perfect mesh. It was either that or become a power lifter. <laughs> and I think it's interesting because as a young child, we see or we watch wrestling and we're like, oh my God, this is so amazing. It's so fun. But it's actually people really in pain. So how do you kind of manage that? Because we see it as an audience, as something that's fun and entertaining, but people really do get hurt. Yeah, we do. I mean, I remember my first 
ever training session. I had to get off at Edmonton Green and I was going to a school training in Edmonton. It was with Ash in LDN, who then took over by Justin Richards for LDN. But I remember waking up in the morning, the day after that training session, being in total pain and having to wake up to be in class at college for like 10, 15. And just the thought of taking my body out of my bed, which was a normal process, walking to that bus stop, sitting on that bus, and then sitting in that class, being in total pain was just like the most horrific thing in the world. But when I got through it and I did it, that was fine. I mean, I remember having training sessions where I would go away for weekends on end and the weekends, it would be Saturday, Sunday for training. And I would drive back in the morning, Sunday morning. And the person that was driving the car before I could drive would drive me straight to college. After a while, you just kind of get into a mentality of it's quote unquote normal, where something like this, like lockdown has actually made me realize that my body kind of needed a break. <laughs> 100%. Like every single day you're putting your body through the physical preparation for the ring and then in the ring, you're getting smashed here and thrown there and lifted here. It's quite a lot. It's quite intense on the body. How do you feel that you self-care for your body physically, but also emotionally and mentally being that, you know, you are trained to expect pain and receive pain more than the average person? My family, my family has always been the kind of rock to me. I'm surrounded by extremely strong people and they were the ones that kind of pushed me through it I knew that every time I was kind of going away and causing my body total pain and not seeing them for odds on end that was what was giving me strength but then in terms of physically it wasn't until I went to Japan where I had women who were actually bigger than me who were actually able to endure kind of the bumps and the nicks and the little iggies of wrestling that do happen and they were bigger than me and then they were so much stronger and they could endure it and their cardio was so much better I remember my first tour of stardom when I came back like I generally took a complete 180 I did my first bodybuilding competition I started working in gym and it was where I realized it's a horrible mentality that some people have within sports when it comes to big people where you're as good as you can be and I went to a culture and a country where people were bigger than me and they were the best and that's what I wanted to be thinking about your character Amazon what makes her different from the other characters in wrestling and how have you created her as a kind of alter ego for yourself, maybe? What is she to you and how has she been created over the years? The way I was always taught how your character should be is everything you wanted to do in the world that you can't, but you can do it in that middle of the ring. And Amazon is that person. Like I wasn't the most confident person throughout my childhood I wasn't the most what they call quote unquote attractive in my eyes so creating the character of Amazon who was the complete and ultimate badass who didn't give a flying anything what you thought who would pick you up and throw you around and literally look in your face and tell you to die that was the person that I'm not saying that I wanted to be but I thought that people kind of expected of me We've talked about wrestling and you talk about physical fitness. We'll go into politics. I kind of got stuck with the kind of quote unquote black person or black girl mentality where before you even met me, you generally thought I was going to rip your head off. So I gave them that character and that's what I was. Talk a bit more about the politics of, as you said, giving people what they thought they wanted in the black woman. Like, I think you're talking about, you know, assumptions of black women's being aggressive, being loud, being angry, being volatile being a problem as much as you may say that that's wrong and that's not what we want to see and this isn't right that's what you want and that's what was given to them they wanted the aggressive amazonian big huge like i'm going to kill you if you talk bad to me character but the problem was is generally in real life that's not what the person i was and sometimes it made me feel uncomfortable but that's the person i gave them and that's the person that they expect things have changed nowadays quite noticeably you have women in the industry you have myself you have women like mercedes martinez you have women like livy grace in the british industry and alone that you have women in america like bianca belair and sasha banks who have stood up as black women and giving you different types of variations of what the stereotypical black girl was on the television and the entertainment kind of scene where I almost outlined that stereotype but I never felt comfortable being a part of it 
my problem was as a person my actual general personal character never fit with the person that was in the ring and it was generally because I didn't agree with the person that was in the ring all the time I didn't want to advertise that black person mentality quote unquote the angry black woman that people would expect me to be of what I was being labeled as but in terms of entertainment that's what most people expect. It's very far and few in between, especially in our business where it comes to sports or television, music, where you don't get the labels and the stereotypes, especially becomes to women of black culture. I'm sorry, regardless of what people may think or what you may say against what I've said. Let's take our own industry, wrestling. You had women like Jacqueline and Naomi and Shaniqua alone who were stereotyped to be women of like almost an Amazonian type character. There wasn't a normality alone. The person that was put in front of you was this kind of barbaric, I'm going to rip your head off person. Not until probably the late 2000s wasn't there an advertisement of somebody who was quote unquote normal. And it's weird to me, even as somebody who's been in it 13 years, like it's still that stereotypical, I am that Amazonian. Name me one person who hasn't done that, who hasn't made an impact. You have your amazing Kongs, you have myself, you have like all these other people, but it's a weird kind of bubble to fit into where you're trying to give somebody something else, but that's not what they want. I think you're so right. And I think there's something to be said about that. We know that there's all these assumptions and stereotypes that are made around black women's bodies and black men's bodies are just black people that we are angry, we are aggressive. But I think there's something that I think about as you're talking, which is that I watch wrestling and still watch wrestling now. I've watched Good. it before. Good. You're watching my face <laughs> all the time. All the time. I'm supporting the cause. You know, I love it. But also I feel that it's a fictional world that, you know, you just expect people to be angry and aggressive because they're fighting, similar to boxing. I can't really watch boxing too much because I find that too aggressive. Whereas with wrestling, I know that, it's entertaining and it's less brutal, I feel, because there's storylines around the characters. So it's almost like you're in this fictional world that feels real, but it's not where it is because people are really getting hurt. But <laughs> it makes you think that this is not real and people are playing characters. So I get what you mean about, you know, the kind of stereotypical narratives around Black women and Black men. But I also think, would it work if there were like softer characters? Not saying that softer characters can't fight and they can't beat people up, but I'm not sure I would be as engaged. And I'm yet to see, like I'm trying to think of even the characters back in the day, like female characters like China, like Lita. Obviously these are like women who are European or they're not black women. I can't think of any black women. Taz, was Taz a black woman, I think? Oh, um, wow, Jazz. <laughs> Jazz, Replace oh my God. one of those letters. <laughs> And I will tell her in the morning. <laughs> I am sorry so yeah, badly so on the sorry. airwaves. Yeah. I apologize for my sister. I couldn't remember uh, her name, but I remember her. But even her, like she... You can apologize on Twitter. She was projected as this kind of like muscular and angry black woman. And I think similar for China, who was a European woman, but the same thing. But then again, no, you had other women like Trish Stratus. And then you had Tiffany McMahon, who were kind of like softer versions or made to seem softer, but they still got down and dirty in the ring. So I just think wrestling as a sport is meant to be brutal. Like it's not a soft place to come and be doing small and delicateness because you're fighting. That's completely true. And I apologize to everybody in the wrestling industry right now for my sister. It's Stephanie McMahon. China is American, my darling. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm literally like 29 years old now. I don't even know. <laughs> she's, she's gone back. She's flashed back to being 12. I yeah. apologize for her right now. Like, Please don't cancel my sister. She's an amazing person. But no, I completely understand what you're saying. But this is a conversation that I had just after the BLM movement. When everything crashed, there was a wrestling company that wanted to do an interview with me about how black people felt during everything in industry and it's weird that you say that because it's not real I understand that it's a sport it's an athletic sport it's contacts it's very aggressive but it's an aggressive sport that we create exactly. you, you can't say well it won't work because that person won't work well have you tried it you're, You're right. the person that You're has right. the power to create it. You're you can't right. say it doesn't work if you haven't done it. Yeah. That's why I never understand when some people say to me, oh, it doesn't work because it wasn't working our business. And I'm like, but have you tried it? No, because it wouldn't work. Mm. But have you tried it? Mm. But I think also maybe the <laughs> audience would be different. And I think 
the audience varies for sure. And I think even growing up watching, obviously, American WWE, you see there's a large proportion of people in America from all different races and ages and communities that engage in wrestling. And I'm not sure if we have the same scope here in the UK, which kind of irritates me. I think there's a lot of, like, what can I say, younger Black people that I knew that grew up wrestling, but I'm not sure, like, the elders that I now kind of exist in space with, they watch wrestling now because they kind of just think, oh, that's something you did when you were younger, grow up. But even when we was watching it, when we was younger, there were older families that would go to a wrestling match as they would go to a basketball match. Like, I just think sport is engaged differently in America and here in the UK is kind of like a niche underground contact sport that only a few people know about. I know about a lot because you're in the industry, but I don't think my friends would really support it, endorse it, pay money to go and see it because they've kind of grown out of the love of it, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, I can completely understand that. I mean, I'm a child who grew up with World of Sport and WE Wrestling. So I had, unfortunately, because you didn't get into it as much as me, you didn't realise that wrestling was basically around the corner from our house. But that's not your fault. As much as we all claim to be egotistical superstars because we are and we need to be, Wrestling is a very niche sport. And unless you know about it, you don't. I mean, Mm. I currently live in Glasgow, round the corner from one of the biggest streets that have one of the companies that has a show on it every week. And I have met people in the area who have no idea that wrestling happens Mm. in that area. It's kind of a thing that unless you know it happens, it doesn't happen. I mean, it's always been a niche sport, but because when you get into it as a really weird bubble, you generally think that everybody thinks that you are who you are. I mean, realistically, with the name that I have, I should be able to walk out and everybody just kind of flock to me of what you would think of a WB superstar or anybody that wrestles or in the entertainment industry. I can't walk on the street without somebody recognizing me, but I can generally walk around without anybody recognizing me. It's not that kind of thing. And it never has been. But when you're in that kind of bubble, you generally think it is. And sometimes I think that's the problem with our sport. You start believing a lot of your own. (laughs) (laughs) Your character. Yeah. (laughs) In this fictional world that only you and other people know about, basically. (laughs) We have a saying, and one of my closest friends says it, and he says it in the most amazing way. It's not real. As much as I respect the world of wrestling, and always have, it's not real. Like, I'm not an Amazon. I will not kill you. I will not slit your throat or break your neck. But the world that we live in conveys that message. And it's conveying that message of a strong, powerful person, but not somebody who is murderous. The world that we live in is as fictional as a movie. I know it's not real. I didn't always know it wasn't real because I think as a child, like you're just engaging, you're not really thinking is this real or not. Like I, I didn't think but it some was people real, do. But... It, like, it blows some people's minds sometimes. Yeah. Like, and I feel bad because like in the business and especially the way that I was brought into the business, kayfabe is kayfabe. You know, you tell people what they need to know and know much more. But everything has been open, especially with the Internet. Mm. Can't deny the inevitable. It's a very dangerous thing that I do. And I've got hurt more times training and going through things than actually being hurt on a show. Injuries do happen, but realistically, we live in a very fictional world and some people need a lot of ego checks. A lot yeah. of <laughs> and, I, and I think what I was trying to say is that I always knew it wasn't real, but real or not, it was kind of like you're buying into the fictional story that you're being told, just as like you watch EastEnders. We watch yeah. EastEnders religiously growing up, but we know it's not real. We know it's characters living or playing out storylines, but the storylines are so captivating you know, there's all this drama, there's all these characters, like they go and speak and all of a sudden someone comes from behind them and punches them. Like there's so much dynamics that all interplay that is so exciting. Exactly that. My argument towards it when somebody goes, oh, you do wrestling, it's that fake thing. I'm like, well, so when you go to a magician show and you see a magic show, do you generally want to see someone get sawn in half? Because I guarantee you, it wouldn't be as clean as what they've showed it to you as. Because... That's not real either. (laughs) Yeah. It's terrible. I know what you mean. I think people have a different level of respect for wrestling, which I find really interesting. They almost feel like it's almost something to be ashamed of or it's embarrassing, but I don't think so. I think the people who do the sport should be celebrated just as any other sport. They're as athletic, as courageous, as animated, as dynamic. I'm talking about you, Aisha. I think you're all of those things. So claim and receive it. Claim and receive it. This is a short clip 
taken from Chris Bournet, who is the writer and director of Lady Wrestler, the unknown story of African-American women in the ring. Through his documentary, he profiles the experiences and reflections of prominent black female wrestlers, many of whom have been written out of history, but have made monumental contributions to the sport. Ethel Johnson and her older sister Babs Wingo were both pioneering black women in professional wrestling. A native of Columbus, Ohio, Johnson began her mat career in the 1950s and continued until 1976 when she retired from the ring. As a pioneer, Johnson certainly experienced the double sting of sexism and racism. However, the small but fierce competitor was known to train three hours a day and wrestled all over the United States. That is the description of legendary wrestler Ethel Johnson in the quintessential guide to African-American wrestlers, Black Stars of Professional Wrestling. I had the tremendous honor of interviewing Miss Ethel, as I called her, for the documentary Lady Wrestler, The Amazing Untold Story of African-American Women in the Ring. The documentary, which I directed, will be released on DVD and streaming services this fall. The centerpiece of the documentary is the relationship between Ethel, her older sister Babs, and her younger sister Marva, who was also a trailblazing professional wrestler. Babs and Marva passed away in 2003, so I didn't get to meet them, but I did have the distinct pleasure of getting to know Miss Ethel. I found her to be, in contrast to her fierce image in the ring, soft-spoken and very humble. She was very easy to talk to, and one of the things that stood out most about her was her dedication to her family. For the majority of her career, Ethel was a wife and mother to daughters Shelley, Pam, and Nina, and she was so concerned that her children have a normal life that she didn't even tell them she was a wrestler. In the documentary, Ethel's daughter Shelley shares that the way she found out her mother was a wrestler was by seeing her in a match one day when she and her friends were in front of the television set playing when they were kids. In interviewing Miss Ethel and researching her life, it occurred to me that she was sort of like a real-life version of Wonder Woman. As fans of the comic book, the blockbuster 2017 movie with Gal Gadot, and the 1970s television series starring Linda Carter are aware, the superhero Wonder Woman had an alter ego named Diana Prince, whose identity she assumed in everyday life. Wonder Woman was careful to keep her dual identity a secret, and so was Ethel. In fact, when I went to the University of Notre Dame to do research in their humongous wrestling archive, I found this photo of Ethel that looks like a superhero pose. Here's a clip from the documentary in which Ethel describes in her own words about why she decided to keep her family life and her professional life separate. I always figured the best thing that was a separate life, you know, when you live that life and you come home and you take care of your kids and you be the mom that you're supposed to be, you know. Because if you discussed all that stuff with them, they weren't going to be able to go to school and accomplish nothing and do the things that they want to do. They're going to be upset that mom is out there getting beat up, you know, because they don't understand the wrestling business. What is the difference between Amazon the wrestler and Aisha Raymond, my sister? Total and complete lack of stuff given. Amazon the character or Big Femme Vader or quote-unquote the person that is the wrestler, woman of many names, generally is that person who I have no boundaries. I <laughs> have done questionable things in the ring that I wouldn't do in public. I've said many things that I wouldn't do in public. You and I both know that there are many matches that we cannot show to our grandmother. <laughs> Even to the point where there's a funny story that I can tell. I had a hardcore match, which I didn't want to show to our grandmother, but I smashed somebody over the head with a ukulele. Our grandmother then methodically put this ukulele back together because I decided <laughs> to keep it. And I didn't have the heart to tell her that it was used to generally smash somebody's brain in. But that's the kind of person that Amazon is. Aisha, like the person on the outside, your sister, 
wouldn't be that person you know that I wouldn't probably hurt a fly <laughs> yeah it's so funny because I actually know you and it's like no this is not who she is I don't know who this person who's acting <laughs> is but obviously you're acting which is beautiful like nobody would know the difference and they're not meant to it's meant to be a performance that is believable which is great but I do honestly admit Amazon has a higher tolerance for stupid people than Aisha does me your sister will scream at you within like five minutes of you saying something stupid Amazon will just stand there and say nothing and that's interesting because I think even if you can take us through maybe like the growth of your character because I feel that quite earlier on in your like earlier matches you didn't say much was that also part of your character like you would kind of like form to kind of be a silent but violent, aggressive person. But in this part of your career, I feel like you're talking much more than you had been. At the time, it was just something that was done. I was a silent, deadly character. After a while, it was kind of something to kind of like screw with people. They would come up to me at the end of shows and try and have a conversation with me. And I'd just stare at them. And after a while, they'd just walk away. And it would generally be entertaining to me. So I just kind of stuck with it. But in our like kind of world of entertainment, how you sell yourself is through your actions and your voice, unfortunately. And especially in this world of social media that we live in, If you can't talk and you can't sell yourself or sell a show or anything, Mm -hmm. then you're literally three quarters of what you need to be. That's so interesting. And I think just thinking about the characters that were really like eye-catching, like The Undertaker, who was literally, you know, he brought on stage at times coffins because he would bury people in them, not bury them, but he would put them in like if he finished the match with them. Like, and he didn't say much, but his character was all around the creation of this world of like this underground. He's so deadly, he kills people, puts them in a coffin. Like it's so terrible, but it's like his character was formed on not saying anything, but he had all the visual elements of being dangerous and deadly. So it's really interesting what you say about like Twitter now and social media, you have to be able to speak and have a personality and you can't not talk as a character. Like we have to hear what you're saying and we have to hear that you have a voice and you have some interesting things to say. So yeah, I think it's just really interesting what people want now as the audience, which is very different to what they might have wanted 20 years ago. That's completely true. I mean, it's not even you have to have a voice, even if you have a voice that speaks for you. NWA Power, a company in America, had a character called Who or Question Mark, and he didn't say anything. He did nothing. But everything that he was done was done through actions. And the stuff that was done for him was done through the speaking of other people. As long as you have something to talk about, as long as you have a good story, that's what works. If you have a good talker, one of the greatest talkers in our business, Paul Heyman, beside you and you're not able to speak, as long as they can convey your story, it's good. The problem is, is when you're not able to convey a story or a character or anything to sell or worth money, there's no reason for anybody to kind of have you. And just saying that, what is the message or messages you are trying to convey in the work that you create as an athlete? That the door's always open. There's so many red ricks around there can only be one or there can only be two. I've been in this business for 13 years and I can honestly say when I first started, myself and my tag team partner were the only two black girls working in the UK circuit. And it was sad to think of. And I generally work on the circuit now and there are so many more just because of the doors that have been opened up. Not only that, but I currently own one of the most diverse companies in the UK, Fierce Females. And when I walked into the doors of those companies, I saw every rainbow colour you could ever think of, every personality and every culture and every effect. And it's just so nice to know that the belief that I had where maybe I won't be the only person that has this mentality that looks this way or is this way, one day there will be others. It's actually becoming that way. I think that's beautiful and you're so right because when we think about all the past wrestlers it's often just been one type of person and like you know me as an avid person who watched wrestling growing up I could have been a wrestling journalist but I never knew that I could exist in this industry and I think it's such a shame because you know there's so many different jobs away from the people who are actually wrestlers in the ring there's like the commentators there's the stage and lighting people there's digital people who do stuff in the entertainment industry of wrestling but you know we only think about the people in the ring but just like any other business or sporting business, there's so many roles. So yeah, it's great to know so many people are taking up space in those spaces now, a variation of people. 
It's weird that you say that. In my career in entertainment, whether it has been in acting or wrestling or generally just the entertainment industry, my general relationships have been with the people backstage. I've always taken pictures with the makeup people. I've always taken pictures with the announcers, with the screenwriters, with the runners, like the roadies. Those are the people that kind of hold the stuff together. And to me, those are the most important people. Exactly. We don't think about them often. We just think about, you know, the entertainers (laughs) in front of us because I guess that's what is kind of a focus on like the focus on the people in the ring not the people who put the ring together or people put the makeup I didn't even think about that I didn't even think about all these people having to sit backstage like they're going on show and on screen like they have to have makeup artists you know so yeah so many roles and it's glad to see the door is being opened up to allow more people to come through do you feel wrestling as a sport can be used to create change if so why and can you give an example of what this may look like or what it currently does look like yes I do believe it is a way to create change. You're currently speaking to the first black champion to be crowned in Berlin. We love it. Hello. Tell me more about this. <laughs> uh, GWF is one of my uh, most heart found companies. It's a company in Germany that I quietly hold heart to my heart, uh, along with Seedling and many others, Seedling Japan. But they crowned me their first black women's champion in the middle of Berlin amongst an ovation of a crowd and it was weird to me because the moment I went backstage one of the wrestlers actually said Hitler is hitting himself in the corner and to (laughs) them an appropriate joke for an appropriate moment that is an amazing moment let alone it being a black person it being a woman Because as we know, the industry is dominated by men. So yeah, sport in general is a vehicle for change. It's great to see wrestling being used in the same way to kind of challenge all these racial, political, all these different barriers that we know exist in every single industry. So yeah, being black and a woman, we love it. Yeah, celebrate and take your ground. Take your crown, we love it. And that video is on YouTube for the world to see. In the last year, we've seen sport disrupted. How has this impacted your work and the wrestling world as a whole? I think it's just taught everybody to be just a little bit more careful and think a lot more about it's weird it's a horrible thing to say hygiene i never thought we got into like an era where we'd have to tell people to wash their hands it's a very weird concept to have people be so meticulous now especially with when it comes to cleanliness and deep cleaning and sanitary and stuff but i think for me it wasn't that much of a change personally because i'd been to japan so many times japan as many people know is a very like overly hygienic culture the mask wearing alone I was doing it five years ago so when that was introduced in terms of COVID and the pandemic it was not anything strange to me I felt bad because I felt like I was slightly insulting a lot of people I'm like you should know these things why are you not wiping your canvas down after a wrestling show why are you not cleaning the ropes after a training session why are you not spraying alcohol or disinfectant on the things that people have been sweating on, scabbing on, like skin flakes deflect like minutely. So why are you not cleaning these things? Why did it take for a complete pandemic for you to understand that these things should be normal? Because people are nasty. I know. (laughs) I'm being very serious. In Japan, it was rhetoric. It was biblical. Like you got to the dojo, you cleaned the canvas. Like if you were one of the people that got there first, you clean the canvas to make sure it was okay for the rest of your team. And then when you left after training, you cleaned again and left. It was so mind boggling to me why this wasn't being done. And I'm like, nasty. <laughs> yeah. But I think even more so than that, I think for sure hygiene is a big eye-opener for everybody this year like you know teaching people how to wash their hands and all this that is just weird like you should know that from school we should we should but we live with some people who have questionable hygiene practices but that's a whole other situation but I think what I was thinking more so about is how do you think the industry has changed to kind of reflect the time that we're in in the fact that people are more virtually connecting now or streaming content how has that enhanced the sport or allowed it to continue because we have like all these social platforms that you can now engage on one of my trainers Robbie Rookside he's currently the NXT trainer now in WE slash NXT And he always drummed it into our heads that promos, promos, promos. 
content, content, content. And it wasn't until now where everything completely shut down, where you can't physically do anything with another person apart from yourself, where that kind of drummed into my head and made complete sense. This pandemic or the way that things have changed have allowed people to actually explore other aspects rather than just being in the ring. And I'm not saying that not being an amazing wrestler isn't a good thing. Be athletically gifted and as skilled. It's amazing. Yes, I am too. But the entire point of being an entertainer, what you have to offer as a quote unquote, if you want to be a WWE superstar, if you want to be in the independent circuit, you have to be able to sell yourself. And if you can't sell yourself from the personality or a character, then you're worth nothing. So this pandemic has taught people how to use skills or even learn skills that they didn't have before in order to sell themselves. I've been technological for my entire life, as you know, but I've learned how to use different forms of camera equipment that I didn't do when I was like in my younger years or in college. Just being sit at home during this pandemic has taught me how to kind of advertise myself in a different way that doesn't include me being in a ring or having contact with somebody else. Generally, I know a lot of people have said that this pandemic is a bad thing. It's been horrible. Like, let's not doubt that. It has been. But in terms of personal growth and almost self-awareness, I think for humanity, this is the most amazing thing because it's taught you how to live without a lot of things that you were used to. It's taught you how to not kind of get used to complacency. It's taught you how to not live in almost kind of like a foggy era. You generally have to live in the moment and you have to live for life. I think that's what the pandemic has taught anybody, that anything can happen at any point in time and it could be gone just like that. Because you have to remember, this all happened in March not even even January, March 2020, everything shut down. So the universe gave everybody three months and then went, nope, you got to send me yourself. <laughs> yeah. Send me yourself. I think you're so right in saying that. And I think in the last year, as terrible as it has been for a lot of people, we have been given space and time to be with ourselves and really kind of gain clarity on what it is that we want to do moving forward. Maybe just evaluate work, evaluate friendships, evaluate the choices that we make and I think there is a beauty in that and I hope that going forward things can be better for all of us because we have had space and time to be with ourselves and just be clearer on what we want and kinder to people I really hope that it's just weird how you can't distract kind for social media stuff because what people write going on what people say are completely different things yeah that's what I've noticed during this entire pandemic everybody is brave behind a keyboard (laughs) (laughs) yep they want to be keyboard warriors and gangsters. They should sit but, down. But even with two meter social distancing, nobody wants to be brave at my face. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll leave that for another day. <laughs> what are three of your highlights as a wrestler and why? Three of my highlights of a wrestler, debuting in general. Like I genuinely thought it was never going to happen. I remember telling, not you, but I remember telling Jermaine in his room that I wanted to do this and I remember him laughing. So the simple fact that I could stand in the WE ring and go, ha, was good. I'm here. Uh, (laughs) So what were you saying? Uh, (laughs) You build you, I'll download me that 15,000 other people have made. (laughs) Second thing, generally just existing like I thought that for most people something like this even what you're told to be in school and generally in life is a career like this is not forever it's not withstandable I've been doing this for 13 years and for 13 years I have done nothing but live my best life I've traveled to so many different countries like just being able to work for the WE, work in Japan, be on World of Sport, work on TV, have the TV experience, not only that, but kind of mold that experience into a stunt career, work on Pennyworth, I'm immortalized like for life. Now, I am a DC character, you can't take that away from me. It's just weird how kind of just existing is one of the second things. And the third thing, as petty as it may seem, is I had the most amazing match with, I call her my wrestling sister. I'd love you to meet her one day. Her name is Arisa Nakajima. She's one of the NJPW originals, and she is one of the seedling ladies at this moment in time. She is literally one of the best Joshi wrestlers you could ever step into the ring with. And I had a 20-minute draw with her for the World War Wrestling Women's title, and that match sticks in my brain to this day because I learned more 
in that 20 minutes than I did at the probably 10 years of my career when I had that match. She taught me more in that one match than I had learned in 10 years. And that still, to me, just means so much. That's really interesting. And I think because, again, when I think about wrestling, I can only speak as a viewer, as audience. I would never know what it's like to exist in a ring and... You know, obviously the match is kind of planned beforehand and like you talk about how you're going to manoeuvre in the ring. But there's so much that I guess you gain from each other in this shared space where you're kind of showing your athleticism to each other. But what are the other things that you think happen in there? There's kind of like both of you want to win and you want to show the skills that you have. But there's also something about a shared experience. Well, it depends because when it comes to Joshi, they're very honor and trust and respect. So to me, that's what always I've been built on. One of my trainers was Justin Richards and he's always on morals and how you stand as a person, regardless of what people may think of you. And to me, that's not that much was. She completely wholeheartedly trusted anything and everything I was going to do. And I did some things that I had just learned literally the day before. I had done things that I had never done in the probably the 10 years of my career that they had taught to me when I was there in Japan. And I was generally literally twice her size and she had no fear. I've always said on um, a shadow of a doubt, it's always made me feel weird in my career how I can go to Japan and women and people that are there who sometimes don't understand what I'm saying, sometimes don't understand what I'm about, have no idea of my back history, still treat me with like more respects than my peers who I have trained with for 10, 12, 13 years. And it's like the most saddest thing in the world, but to me, it's the most uplifting. That's why I always flash back to that match because she didn't have to do that. Like in the world of wrestling that we live in, we spoke previously just a minute ago on it, quote unquote, it's not real. She could have just beat me. She respected me that much that she kept us both strong. That's really interesting because you always think that it has to be a winner and a loser. But no, like both of you come out strong because mm -hmm. you've had a great match. We love it. Obviously, there is clear differences in terms of, I guess, the culture in Japan, but also how the sport is performed in the ring. The nature is different. The performance is different. It feels more spiritual. It feels like it's not just about winning and losing or celebrating the winner and the loser storyline. There's like a kind of spiritual, artistic something that's happening. I mean, you're completely right. You're hitting the nail on the head. To them, it's culture, it's religion, it's life. A rhetoric that Robbie Brooks would say to me all the time, this is a lifestyle, not a business. Until you think of it as a lifestyle, you never have it as a business. And in Japan, it's their life. I can only speak for the Joshi community, but you have girls who come out of school who literally go straight into the dojo to training. And that's all they know from school onwards. And that's it. It is their life and they respect it that much. There's an actual ritual. I call it a ritual, but it's something that every Joshi wrestler has to do. And it's called your protest. It's basically a professional test to being a wrestler. Every joshi wrestler has to do and unless you pass your protest you are not a wrestler and there were girls who do their protest two three four five million times until they can prove to the rest of their peers and those legends in the professional wrestling industry that they are wrestlers and that's something i generally think is lost within our western world and it should be done there is nothing that proves that as much as you work as much as you actually test yourself and prove yourself that you are that good in front of, you know, your peers and the British wrestling legends that are, that are still around today who could judge you, but some people choose not to. And that's why it means so much to them, because they're able to prove that they're able to stand with legends in front of them. And until those legends say that, OK, you're ready, they're not ready. And that's why it means so much more because they work and work and work until they get the yes. If they get the no, okay, fine. Some of them may walk away, but most of the time they don't. There's a documentary on YouTube now. I think it's still on YouTube, actually. I previously saw it on YouTube, but it's Gaia Girls. Um, Miyoko Setamura, who NXT UK, Sendai Girls right now. It shows the training regiments of the Joshi girls in the Joshi world. And if you see the amount of pain and torture that those girls put themselves through just to be called professional wrestlers, it kind of makes you think a lot about why they respect it so much. You wouldn't put yourself through that if you weren't respectful of the business. I get you. And I think 
unfortunately it comes from the capitalist culture of like money t-shirts all these kind of extras that kind of can sell a character rather than something that develops you as a person and like a spiritual practice and a religious practice that allows you to kind of maybe be in connection with your body and your mind and everything else that is part of you. Yeah, I think it's just a different way of thinking and living. But it's good you've had a chance to experience that and see the other side because you have a different value and purpose when you enter the ring, which is good. A person said it to me a very long time ago. There's a lot of people in this world, Aisha, but some people want to wrestle and some people want to be wrestlers. Which one do you want to do? And it didn't make sense until like now. <laughs> What do you think is one of the biggest challenges you faced in the career and how have you overcome it? I can honestly personally say the lack of morals within certain people within our business. I mean, I understand that in the entertainment industry, you have to sacrifice a lot, regardless of what your mentality is or what you may think or what your opinion is of certain things. But some people that I find in this business is what I find what my downfall is, is I have never been able to sacrifice my morals for money. You never I, should. You never, ne- ever should. But you'd be surprised. Hollywood, entertainment, music, wrestling is a weird place. But there are a lot of people who put a lot of hashtags around, you know, this time last year, who mm-hmm. have sacrificed their morals just for money. And I've never understood it. I was brought up in a, I wouldn't say strict. I mean, you're my sister. It's weird for me to say this to you. It wasn't a strict, but we were brought up in a Christian household. We were brought up in morals, faith and honesty. And not only that, but when I met people in my life, I was also brought into the same things. And then to hear people kind of spit the same rhetoric, but they don't actually live that is just disgusting to me. And I'm like, well, you can sacrifice your soul, but I definitely won't. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. And you never should. Yeah, do not be swayed by these people who don't have any grounding. And I think it comes from that. You have to have grounding. You have to be grounded to something. And unfortunately, a lot of people aren't grounded. So they're easily swayed by everything and anything. And money is one of those biggest things that sway people. What are you working on at the moment? Currently, what I'm working on at the moment is building my brand even more than it is. And having that main state, like as much as I may have been doing different things everywhere, I want that big boom. And I personally don't feel like I've had that big boom yet. And it is coming very soon. Not only that, but I currently own the only women's wrestling company in Scotland, Fierce Females, after the world of wrestling exploded. And I genuinely want people to understand and know that Scotland offers a lot more than what they think. I mean, after taking over the company, not only the training school, I have been introduced to a lot more people that have been interested in wrestling or even didn't even know it existed in the area just because they weren't exposed to it. It's the kind of thing where I want this to empower many women. And it's just so nice to see those happy, smiling faces on children's faces or even that woman who thought that they couldn't do and they finally did. That's what I'm working on. I'm working on empowering every woman or anybody who wants to work with fierce females because I don't want anybody to go through any kind of traumatic experience that everybody else kind of went through in the past. I want this to be kind of a fresh start, especially when it comes to the Scottish wrestling industry for women. There's a lot of things that need to be cleaned up and I want to be that person to clean it up. But I also want to be that person to go, hi, I'm still here. (laughs) And I don't know if this is Scottish, but I was thinking about the film Glow, which I haven't watched. Have you watched Glow? Glow is about female wrestlers. I've watched the original Glow, I watched the original documentary, and I watched the rehash. And Glow, if you didn't know, the original Glow had Ivory in it. She's a WE wrestler who was in the original Glow, and that was basically what I aim to create with my company and with my dojo and my girls. They are brand new to wrestling, and they're just people who just love wrestling. And you train them, and they're going to put on a show. What advice would you give to young female wrestlers who want to enter into the business or industry? If anybody says to you that you can't, walk away because you always can. One person will always shut a door, but another person will always open it. I'm proof of that.
If I told you 10 years ago that my sister Aisha would be in the ring, like the wrestlers we watched on Friday night and Saturday morning, you probably wouldn't believe me. Aisha's story is one of defiance, bravery and creativity. Her journey to success continues to make myself and my family proud, but we still know the best is yet to come as she continues to achieve greatness inside and outside of the ring. It's so beautiful to see how much she has developed personally and professionally through wrestling and even more inspiring to see how passionate she is about motivating others to follow in her footsteps. This is a clip of a short poem titled Dear Young Woman by Britta B, who is an award-winning artist, spoken word poet and educator. In this piece, she reminds all young women to step into their power and greatness. To paraphrase the words of Carol Mosley Braun, the former United States Senator, defining ourselves as opposed to being defined by others is one of the most difficult challenges we each face every day. My name is Britta B, and the name of this poem is Dear Young Woman. Dear Young Woman, I hope you find you. I hope you find love. I see all the armor you wear. I see all the jewels and gems of wisdom you share. It's okay to shine, ma. It's okay to shine. It's okay to have pride, ma. You don't have to live a lie. Don't let the violence fool you into silence, convincing you that you are not worthy of space and time. You might not know it yet, but you got a multi-dimensional set of eyes looking out for you. Trust that what is meant for you is relying on you to show up. Show up. You can lose your religion, but you will never lose your spirit. Each of your breaths have minds and lives of their own. I doubt we'll ever know the true impact of our presence. What a blessing. Young woman, I wish you enough. I wish you enough time for all of your skills and talents. I wish you more. I wish you more revelations than disrespects and regrets. And I beg you to believe yourself more than your parents ever did carry out your curiosities in spite of the corruptions you experience you let yourself free when you let yourself forgive and so when you do and I know you will I hope you find you I hope you find love again. Production and sound design of this episode was by Hannah Ward. Thank you for listening to Respeaks. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you did, join me again soon.